Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors, presented by FMG Suite. Listen to interviews with the movers, shakers, geniuses, and innovators of the financial advisory world. Visit FMGSuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. And now, without further delay, the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. Hi, everybody. Mike Woods here, one of the founding members of FMG Suite. Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors presented by FMG Suite. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Mary Bess Storjahan, who's the founder of Workable Wealth and chief marketing officer of Abacus Wealth Partners. Many of you may recognize the name. Mary Beth has been named one of the top 40 under 40 by investment news, so she's well known in the industry. Mary Beth's target market is millennials, so we spend the first 10 minutes of the podcast talking about how to reach that market. Here's a hint, beach photos on your website won't cut it with millennials. We then spend some time talking about marketing trends that will continue through the pandemic and some that may never come back. Mary Beth spends a lot of time talking about the avatars she has created for Abacus Wealth. Avatars are profiles of active clients and Abacus tailors its marketing to the three avatars the firm has built. So here's a pop quiz. Has your firm created any avatars? We close the podcast with a discussion about getting involved in promoting financial literacy, a passion of Mary Best. Lots of great ideas coming out here. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Spread the word. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Mary Beth Stojahan. Mary Beth is the founder of Workable Wealth, a platform providing financial education and empowerment to those people in their 20s and 30s and 40s. Mary Beth is also a partner and chief marketing officer at Abacus Wealth Partners, a fee-only independent firm. Now, some of you may recognize the name, but Mary Beth has been named one of the top 40 under 40 by Investment News. She's also one of the 10 young advisors to watch, according to the Financial Advisor magazine. And in 2019, U.S. News & World Report named her one of nine women in finance to follow on Twitter in 2020. Boy, Mary Beth, holy cow. Holy cow. Holy cow. Congratulations on that. I've, I've known, we've, we've done podcasts and I've worked with people who've gotten one or two of those, but not three. That's awesome. That's real, truly amazing. So it's great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, Mary Beth, give us a little quick intro into yourself and give us a little idea of the work you do with both Workable Wealth and Abacus Wealth. Sure. So, uh, well, I've been, I'm a certified financial planner. I have been in the financial services industry for 17 years now. So I, I basically grew up in the industry uh, and I launched my own firm, Workable Wealth, as an RAA back in August 2013. Uh, it was a virtual firm. I was uh, virtual only. I had clients all over the country, ran it from my home in San Diego, and it was basically built off of um, online marketing. We can talk more about sure. those sort of things later on. But uh, from there, it continued to grow. I launched a book and a podcast. Uh, the business was coming in. And in March of 2019, uh, I merged in with Abacus Wealth Partners. So I took my client base, merged them in with Abacus Wealth Partners, and took the position of chief marketing officer with the firm in order to be able to leverage what I've utilized and learned at Workable Wealth and to push that knowledge down uh, to their advisors, help to support them, and help to support the brand grow as well. So that's the, the work I do there now. So I have the client side, and then I also run the market. I run marketing and sales for Abacus Wealth Partners now. 
Gotcha. Wow. That's a, uh, that's, that's awesome. That is a, uh, well, cause you really have it from the ground up cause you know what it took to get the clients. And now you're kind of, you're in the position of, uh, leading the firm on how to market, the, how to, how to really uh, monetize those marketing efforts to help other reps, uh, and advisors get clients. Exactly. From building, I mean, from building the avatar all the way to the brand tone voice, our story, all of those things. So it was, it's, it was fun to be able to leverage those areas. And then part of merging with Abacus Wealth was, being able to maintain the Workable Wealth platform and to continue to push the, push the educational content out that way. And now it serves uh, as a financial empowerment platform and a lead funnel for Abacus. Gotcha. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff, Mary Beth. Uh, all right. So let's let's dive right in. I wanted to, you know, I, I, uh, I, to get ready for these podcasts, I scour people's websites, look at all their <laughs> stuff that's available. And um, there was, there's certainly no shortage of stuff on you, Mary Beth, with uh, all the accolades you've uh, earned over the past couple of years. But one thing that really stuck out with me was Workable Wealth looks to help people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s with money. Mm-hmm. And that's really, that's really the Gen X, Gen Y people of investors. So uh, let's a couple of questions here. What's different about how you market and communicate to this age group compared with baby boomers? So number one, there are no lighthouses or older retired people like walking on the beach on the websites. That's the one thing <laughs> that I will say. It's different. Um, really, it's about tone. So the reason, the whole reason for starting Workable Wealth and targeting this market, it really I, I started out targeting millennials back in 2013. And at that time, the whole conversation in the industry was that millennials don't want this advice. Uh, They're scared of their finances. They won't pay for it. Uh, And I was on a mission to prove the industry wrong at that point in time. And so the the way that we market and communicate with these clients is it's really more of a, um, it's, it's financial planning. It's comprehensive financial planning. And so we're helping these clients go through life stages. They're having, they're buying homes, they're having babies, they're changing jobs, they're paying off student loans. And so when there is this industry uh, push of these people don't uh, value the advice and they don't need the advice, uh, that actually couldn't be more opposite because there are so many questions for this age group and this generation. Um, so it's marketing is about coaching them and helping them through those areas. And those are the things when you market, you, you speak to that, right? You talk about having babies, sure. you create yeah. the content around those specific issues they are going through. And part of Workable Wealth, the way that I built that was a little bit of, you know, sharing my personal brand. You know, I was a small business owner, woman, you know, military spouse, having uh, having young kids. So I really leaned into the personal branding as I was building Workable Wealth and sharing little pieces of me and showing that I was related, you know, that I'm relatable to my audience. Gotcha. Yeah, boy, there is a... There is no shortage of going through those changes and, and really rapidly when you, you get out of school, you get a job, you perhaps, like you said, you have babies, you get a home, you've got loans to manage and you're changing jobs. Holy cow. There's a, it's a lot it's of a lot. stuff, right? Yeah. We, and we talk about people, we want people to do things one at a time. And the reality is it doesn't happen. Usually, I usually have people who are pregnant trying to buy a home and, you know, change their jobs and, you know, you know, navigating benefits all at the same time. So there's a lot that happens there. And really it was about, it's about pricing it. And that's where the, the fee structure came into, into play was this annual, annual retainer that was paid, that's paid monthly. So it's not, it's a financial planning fee. It's not necessarily an investment management fee. Right. Right. Gosh, yeah. I think too about, I have a nephew that uh, moved into San Diego, bought a home, very expensive home, 
bought into a dental practice, cost him quite a bit of money to do that. Also has got a boatload of student loans. There's a lot of big money decisions at that point in their lives. Huge, huge. And I mean, that's the whole thing is make, taking those risks now in the hope that it will pay off later on. And and can you imagine trying to make those decisions without guidance, right? Just, just using you and Google, yeah. that'd be kind of scary. Uh, it is. It is, and it, and and the danger is they, um, uh, you know, in this instance, uh, uh, my nephew, he he didn't really get good guidance, and people didn't know how to provide him guidance. So mm-hmm. it's it's also you know the um, so many of these uh, these millennials find themselves really in unique circumstances where where the risks are uh, they're common risks, but they're really unique to them, and they're how they how they get out of it is you know is it, it there really isn't a one size fit all. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. So one of the things I also wanted to talk to you about is a, a wise financial advisor many, many years ago told me that um, my income reflects the income of my clients. So if I work with people who make 50000 I make 50000 If I work with people who make a million dollars, I make a million dollars. So I've got to ask Mary Beth, you know, most financial professionals choose to focus on baby boomers because that's where the money is. That's where they see the money at. What's your perspective on baby boomers and, and that money equation as you're working with uh, people that are younger? You know, I think baby boomers are wonderful. Uh, however, yeah, I, I really, I really do. You know, especially, I mean, Abacus. We have three different avatars which we can talk about, and I think it's a mm-hmm. great target. And really, though, the, the interest in working with young professionals, uh, for many, many in, in my seat and who are coming up behind me, I think there's this desire to work with the people who who are in your circle and the the, want, the you see the need. We see that I, I went to college. I majored in financial services. I saw friends that majored in music and English and psychology who had zero financial knowledge. So there's this desire to want to work with and, and service the people that you know, who you know, need the assistance. Mm. Uh, and then I would say um, that this, there's also a, um, there's quite a bit of, of wealth in this age group as well. So even for at workable wealth there, you know, we see, we think baby boomers are the ones who have the money. I have, clients who are who are small business owners who are bringing in millions of dollars in their 30s and 40s. I have Instagram influencers. I have, you know, there's different mm. income streams and business opportunities that are coming up for this generation. I have attorneys who are partners at their law firms who are also young. They've been, they've they've um they've generated these great opportunities for themselves. And so when we think about these target markets, I do think there needs to be a certain income level to be able to pay fees, the fees that, you know, and that's up to you of how you value and price your services out. There might not be that investment management, that 1% fee. But if you have somebody who's got some complex small business planning that you're helping to coach them on, or you're like a, I call myself a rent a CFO sometimes for businesses, (laughs) you you bet that 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 financial planning retainer is going to be priced appropriately to compensate for the time that you're spending planning with that client. So that it, it's mostly a shift in that service structure and the pricing versus, you know, baby boomers are where the money is because there is a lot of money that is being transferred and that is currently being built in this generation. Uh, and I would say that one of the disconnects that I always saw being 17 years in this industry and wanting and the, uh, the concern with focusing on the younger group. I always like to remind advisors, like, how did you start in the industry? When I was in my 20s at a firm, I remember most of these guys built their firms by selling life insurance. That's how they got their start. Was It was not with the millionaires. They were uh. selling life insurance policies, making commissions. And then they transitioned into the investment management and the fees. And, and that's what this generation wanted to do also. We, you know, we're doing annual retainers paid monthly instead. We're doing like this monthly kind of payment model we're not selling insurance, but we still want to get in with the clients while they're young and they're accumulating and building their wealth. Right. 
Sure, it it certainly makes sense too. I mean, there are um, you know the 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 millennials that are the disruptors that are coming along have money problems that you'd never even thought of, and it is hard for I think um, some older advisors to relate to somebody who's an Instagram influencer. Yes, yeah, they've they've got to download Instagram to first find out what that <laughs> okay. is, right? Yes, yes. It's, it's it can be a challenge. You know, I uh, we we were talking today uh, at FMG just about uh, there are some uh, TikTok videos now that talk about financial advice. Oh, tons. Yeah, and and you know the pros and cons of that. I you know I I think that that's a little dangerous to get financial advice submitted to music in a thirty second bite, <laughs> but but it's happening. It is. It's, it's happening. It's, My concern is that they're not CFPs who are who are peddling all the advice, and then there's. I mean, we can go on a tangent uh, episode on that, but <laughs> right, right. But the but the but it's it's it, it, it's it's hard for uh, someone who doesn't understand what those are what those are what those trends are to really advise and, and give insight into those trends. So so agreed. That, that's awesome, and that leads me really to my next thought: is why do you think professionals really aren't aren't taking the time to get to know those younger investors seriously, and and how should they if, if do they want to reach out to them if they knew they could, or what? How do you how do you bridge that if you're a, an advisor? If you're an advisor, I I would say that the the most underutilized opportunity in this industry is the next generation. It is the younger generation that is up and coming, that is graduating from college. They are the 20-somethings. They are in there. They are energetic. They are creative. And they are the ones that know this market. They're on the Instagram and TikTok and doing all of the things. And they are not taken seriously by the people that are, you know, that, that are their superiors that are running firms. So they're they're energetic and, and they're going to be the ones that are going to bridge that gap for you. And so I see it at Abacus already. And that was part of the reason I joined Abacus was, was being able to have this greater impact in advisors' lives beyond just myself at Workable Wealth. And we bring in advisors and I have people reaching out to me about wanting to work with LGBTQ plus entrepreneurs. Um, they want to work with teachers. They want to work with, you know, doing TikTok videos, doing gamers. And then we also have the, you know, the baby boomer audiences well, but being able to give space and voice to those those younger advisors who who do have energy and creative energy around this area and letting them play, that's what needs to be done to actually reach the audience. I don't know that the advisor specifically needs to put that the honest like needs to carry that weight when there are there are likely if you're in a firm of more than just one, there's likely going to be other people that you can tap and utilize and lean on to to you know build that bridge for your firm uh, to that audience. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, good insight there. Okay, one more one more thought on this question. I, I on your site you talk about you like breaking down complex personal financial topics into easily digestible information. Uh, give me an idea how you do that, and what kind of topics are those that you, that you find that come up most common with the people you work with. So checklists are my friends. Um, uh, that, I mean, that's number one, right? So anything like a financial plan, um, I could do it. You know, we always talk about one-page financial plans, but I could do a ten-page financial plan of here's everything you need to know about your financial life. But let me turn it into a one-page checklist for you that is going to say the most the most important thing for you to do right now is open these three savings accounts and you know transfer money into these pots. And so the things that look complex of like, okay, here's your life insurance needs analysis. What do you need to do? You need to go buy a term policy, which means you know there's a there's a fixed point of time that it's that it's available for for one million dollars because it protects your income. Um, your family in case something happens to you. So, I mean, it's any, like anything, when you think about like a, 
life insurance for financial planners were like, oh, it's easy, right? You need term for young people too. You're like term policy, 30 years, a couple million dollars, depending on your income, call it a day. To somebody else though, who has no idea about the complex financial world, that's what clients actually sit on the longest is something like a life insurance or an estate plan because it terrifies them. They have to reach out to other people. There's there's medical records and there's things to coordinate and there's an overwhelm there. So it's right, really sure. about like anything like even like a 401k rollover. People don't roll over their 401ks because they don't know which boxes to check on the form. They're afraid that they're going to check the wrong box and you know the world's going to fall down. Uh, so <laughs> and it's literally you know like okay, we'll pull up the form. Let's, let's Let's complete it together, and and I'll explain to you what this means or does not mean, and how it impacts you. And and, and this, you know, and I say complex, but it's, I mean that's complex for baby boomers as well, right? Sometimes people just get overwhelmed in some of these decisions um, as you're making, going through these life transitions. So uh, even buying a house, you know, getting your mortgage points, it's 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 broken down just in bite sized information. I always say like there's. Um, there's no stupid questions. And this is all about helping you to make smarter choices with your money. That's, that's the number one goal. And so um, I try to make, I try to make money relatable, right? I think a lot of people have a lot of anxiety and fear around their finances. Um, there's more, they have a lot of shame. Uh, and so for me, I just try to make it, um, I just try to lift people up. I'm definitely act. I call myself like the Italian mama, personal finances. My, my, Study group calls me that as well, but uh, I'll love on you hard and cheerlead you, but I'll also smack you with a wooden spoon if need be. Um, so it's that kind of thing, just yeah. like just making it easy. I, you know, those are examples of just the actual topics, but it, it really is just turning it into a checklist form. That's all it is. And, and the blogs I write on the on the Workable Wealth site, I uh, do the podcast. It's it's just it's taking a topic, digging into it, and answering the questions that come up along the way. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, do you. Do, 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 do you find that that millennial age group is more likely to take a checklist and and check items off as they go? Uh, you know, I certainly see it with uh, well, well, with my my twenty six year old son. I mean, he had a car loan that was twenty two percent, and I created Ooh. a checklist for him that said refinance it. Boy, it was a very proud day when he was able to check that box. Yes. Uh, do Do you find that that is more of a, a motivating factor for millennials? Yes, the the accountability, the accountability in the ah, checklist, right? They want to see that they're that's done. They want they like the follow up practices, and that's part of financial planning in general. So, but but being able to check something off, being able to see, hey, you know, during a six month review meeting of look at all that you've done, those are celebrations, and they mm -hmm. and I and then you know celebrations beget celebrations. So so yes, the checklist format and giving it to them in some sort of way uh, to to execute on is really helpful for this generation. Interesting. Good stuff. Yeah. The next box I have for him to check is disability insurance. He hasn't there, quite exactly. got to that one yet. Yes. That is also one that's under, you know, that's very, um, it's overlooked by this age group and uh, for small business owners, I'm constantly talking about disability. Insurance. Oh, I'm sure. So. I'm sure. Okay. Well, let's leave that. Let's leave that marketing niche behind. Let's, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about, um, your role as chief marketing officer, cause that's a rare hat that a financial professional also wears that hat. How, what led to that transition or how did that transition come about? Sure. So, uh, so I, again, I launched workable wealth in August, 2013. And I think in somewhere in 2017, I was introduced to JD Bruce, who was the president of Abacus wealth partners at the time. And he was putting together study groups of, uh, planners basically and Abacus managed, I think we're managing maybe like one, 2 billion at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and he was basically offering his time to mentor younger advisors. And so my, my existing cohort, my, my study group mastermind, um, we, uh, 
basically picked up a session with JD. Uh, so he mentored us over 18 months, everything from, you know, setting stretch business goals, um, just like planning how, how to hire, et cetera, for our individual. He was just giving his time um, sure. for, for each of us. And then, you know, Workable Wealth was taking off, clients were coming. We had wrapped up on the mentorship and I happened to be in Santa Monica for a, a, a DFA, a Women in uh, Women and Money event, I believe. And I was at the, the Abacus office across the street prior to, and I think it was just a, a particularly long day in business. I had just had our, uh, my son, who's now three. Um, I was coming, you know, coming back to work from all of that. And I think I looked at JD at one point and I said, just buy my firm already. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I very, I very, I vividly remember him. Like he took his hand, he rubbed his hands together. And, you know, and that was, the, that was the end of the conversation though. And it was the next day I was on the Amtrak on the way back to San Diego, where I was thinking, you know, I always tell I tell all of my clients, know what's in your back pocket, right? As financial planner, you want to know what your options are. And for me, even owning Workable Wealth, as much as I love it and the, and the branding and all of that stuff and the messaging, I wanted to know what I had in my back pocket. And so we started the, ex the, the conversation about me merging or not merging with Abacus. And I would be you know, merging in just as a partner. Ultimately, it came down to, you know, I, t I said, no, it wasn't going to be a fit. And I said, also, your marketing is awful. And my, my audience would not align with this right now. Uh, oh, <laughs> as, boy, as those, are, those are fighting words right they there. Were, <laughs> they were fighting words. Um, but, you know, the, you know, our website has since been updated and different things. But uh, so when I said no, and I, and I said no based on the marketing, they were putting together their executive team. And he said, well, well would you want to be chief marketing officer? I said, well, that's, yeah, a, different, that's that, a different story. Yeah. yeah, that changes the equation. <laughs> that changes the equation, exactly. Um, so then it went into what, you know, it came into just like a values kind of conversation um, with my family, with our financial planner, with, with different people about, you know, what I, what my, what I want my impact to be and what I'm passionate about. And my, I'm very passionate about, you know, educating women around their finances, financial literacy for women uh, and the more, and, and women advancing women in, in the financial planning, financial services profession. So those are the two things that I know I, if I had all the money in the world, I, uh, I would still be spending my time in those areas. And so do I need to own my own business to do that though? That was, that was kind of part of the question. Uh, interesting. Do right. I need to have my face specifically on everything to to be able to make that impact? And what does the impact look if I stay solo? Because I already know what that door looks like, what I'm what I could build. Uh, or, you know, what does it look like if I walk through the store at Abacus and then, you know, I'm, you know, working with 30 plus advisors and helping them to build their personal brands plus the Abacus brand and, and the growth we can have there. So I chose to walk through door number two. Wow. I didn't know the answer to that one. And um, and that's how I ended up here. And and since I mean, since then we've you know, we've done a ton, a ton of work at Abacus. So um, I'm really proud of the progress that we've made in the past two years. Oh, that sounds, that's, 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 that's a great story. Uh, the, um, just the notion of how things lead to things like that. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, serendipity, but definitely uh, uh, with a strong influence uh, yes. in your direction of what, what you, what you were clear with, what your passions were and clear of how to separate your passions from your business. And oh, it's good stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. So, uh, so tell me, as 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 the chief marketing officer, what are some of the biggest marketing lessons, really, that have come? I, let let I I think there's there's like pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, and almost people don't almost remember pre-pandemic marketing <laughs> anymore. Uh, what what are some of the biggest marketing lessons now that have come out of the the pandemic for you? You know, I will say, so even at Workable Wealth. 
I was ahead of the game, right? Everything was already virtual. So my favorite part of, of the pan, you know, that was a favorite part, but once there was the pandemic, people were like, oh, what's it like to be virtual? I'm like, I've always been virtual. Well, do clients like it better when you're virtual? No, I've, I've been virtual for years. And so mm. some of those things, those marketing lessons, um, it's the, the thing that I learned early on with workable wealth and being virtual and the thing that advisors learn to advocates too is sometimes instead of making people come into your fancy downtown office where you can, you know, be dressed in your suits, you get to know clients on a such more a more intimate level when you're meeting with them from the comfort of their own home. You can see their artwork. I I've seen kids, you know, running around. I've been propped up on dinner tables. And I think the marketing lesson, like those relationships mm. that you that are strengthened by having that flexibility and that insight that you get from meeting with clients in that more flexible environment. Um, I think it's it's one of the biggest lessons that I hope stays after this. I, I do think there's benefits to having the office space as well, but I I think that you um, are exposed to to different levels of clients' lives when you do have that virtual component, and and there's more ease there as well because somebody hasn't just sat in traffic for 45 minutes to get to your office and navigate a parking and elevators for you to talk about something uncomfortable to them. Right. So, so I, that, that's that's Very one for true. the virtual, but for in in general with the marketing lessons that. The biggest thing I would say is a lot of people start marketing without really doing the avatar work first. They're pushing out a, a you know, like a, we're comprehensive fee-only financial planners. Well, like so is everybody else, right? So what are, not doing the work of understanding who your avatar is. And that's the biggest lesson that I've learned uh, from my business, from Abacus, from all of the small business owners that I, I work with actually as a niche in financial planning. You have to be clear on your avatar. You need to know like not just their money questions, but what like what's happening in their in their lives? What are they going through? What are their fears? Where are they hanging out and spending their time? I think a lot of people are afraid of doing that work and they kind of just brush it off to the side and they want to get right to, you know, picking out the colors or designing the website and, you know, writing mm-hmm. some blogs. But all of that really, but like that all goes back to who your avatar is. And so the number one the number one lesson I would say is, is doing that work. Uh, and so I did it for workable wealth and that was one of the best things I did. And when I, when I started at Abacus before we did anything, I wanted to, I built out a marketing plan. I wanted to know who our avatars were. Uh, and then we have three of them. And then from there, we, we went through Donald Miller's story brand as well for the whole book. My whole marketing team went through it. We built our website and we built our content off of that now as positioning ourselves as the guide and not the hero. And I would say that's, you know, going back to like the biggest marketing lesson I've learned, and that's been a pivot also for myself, like with Workable Wealth is we're not the hero of this story, right? Your client is always going to be be the hero of their story. We are the guide. And so you have to be really careful not to make your website and your marketing and your content all about you. Mm, It needs to be about the client and their lives and what journey they're on. And you are just there to guide them through. Gotcha. Gosh, that's a good, that's good stuff. That's, that's great stuff. Um, you know what it's it's it, you know the, the being being virtual and people at home uh i've had several financial advisors tell me one of the biggest changes they've had since the pandemic is when they call people they answer the phone <laughs> yes that too that's been talked about yeah yeah they for before the pandemic they would get voicemail nine out of ten times now mm-hmm. they get nine out of ten people on the phone and it really changed how they approach their day how they approach their conversations and did you did you being being a virtual office yourself how did how did that affect you or do you see any uh uh was that something that that was a noticeable change at uh, at abacus 
So for, for me as an individual, right, since my specific, like my specific client base was already virtual, um, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge change. I mean, we, we, they were probably more accessible for meetings and then, but Abacus as a whole, if we're talking Abacus and clients, yes, we definitely noticed that we were, you know, there were, there's advisors taking, you know, doing walking meetings with clients. They'd go for walks. They'd be checking in on, you know, single, single clients who are more available, just making sure that they are okay for their mental health as well. Um, we definitely noticed more availability. We had a lot more reach out from clients as well, not just even when the market was fluctuating, but just in general, when clients have more time on their hands, right. they have more questions. And so I think there was, um, which was, which is great for the relationship, but it's also a capacity kind of workflow thing that I've seen firms like ours too try to manage, right? When you have that many more, when you have that many clients that are reaching out more, your workload also increases. And so, um, so managing that, but we saw, we saw that. And then one of the trends that we've also really leaned into is online events. We used to do, uh, before I joined Abacus, there was more focus on the, the in-office events, which I know we'll eventually get back to as well, but we really leaned heavily into webinars. Um, we did a whole, uh, series for young professionals. It was six weeks long. Um, we had, I can't remember, we had hundreds, hundreds of signups for that one. Um, and then we've done like women and women and wealth webinars. So really leading into the online platforms for those sorts of things has been great for Abacus to build our audience. Gotcha. All right. So, um, uh, what, what practices do you see coming back and which ones do you see never coming back, uh, from, from after the pandemic? Oh, never coming back. I wish I could say like steak dinners were never coming back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say that, I, you know, I don't. It'll be a minute, but I feel like those will still come back. Yeah, um, I think they'll come back, but boy, mm, they won't. They won't really be as. Um, I, I think before they played a really uh, more of a central role. They'll be yes. more of a complimentary role this time around. I would say. Yeah. Uh, and it, it seems to me that um, uh, you might reserve that steak dinner for uh, for client only meetings versus yes. versus prospecting. Prospecting yeah. exactly. I think it's more of a client. Those kind of client advisory tables, around table type things, I think would be great. Um, so, I, in terms of what won't expect to never come back, you know, I don't know. I would. I, I think personally, unless you're sending somebody like a written thank you note, I, direct mail campaigns should be out the window, in my personal opinion. But I'm of a different generation, um, right. so the, the direct mailing, I think that could be unpaused. Any, any, which again relates to the seminars for the stakes. But uh, for things that I think that will continue, I think there's going to be a lot of leaning still on those on the online events and online webinars. Um, there's even for Abacus, we started doing uh, our circles, circles, which were in the past have thought you could only do like a, the women's circles, like those safe spaces for people to cut a small group to come together to talk about money. It was thought that they could only be done in person. You needed to create that environment, that intimate space. But we've been able to to do them online where it's, you know, we actually have a little camera set up with a candle and some flowers for one of the videos. And then you you have eight women call in and you're you, there's still ways to facilitate and create that intimate, uh, that intimate event. And I think using online events, I believe that will stay. Uh, I will stay. I think that will be leaned on heavily. Uh, I think virtual meetings will be leaned on heavily. I think social media and, and like the videos that you mentioned earlier, I think that's going to continue to grow. I think especially with the, the Gen Z now, I think it is that they're a TikTok generation. Right. And, and right. it's like you need quick sound bites and they want money to be sexy and these things. And so I think that 
that marketing will grow. I think it's going to be underutilized right now for, because the generation isn't seen as having money, so to speak. But um, as they age, I think those that area will the social media marketing will continue to grow as well. We're seeing a lot of advisors do it now in the in the fin twit space, right, um, right. And and more people are are getting in there as well. And I think I, I think it's I think that's something that I, I don't expect that to go away. I think it just to continue to grow. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, you mentioned something that I just wanted to come back to. It it when you do these conversations when you do these zoom calls and you see people at home it really does personalize it quite a bit more because you do see their artwork and you know you do you do see the people around the house you do see what what is you know you get a glimpse into what what really is behind the curtain from a lot of people Oh yeah. And I tell my clients too, I'm like, you know, something like you're, you're welcome to have a glass of wine, you know, while we're meeting, but I can't drink, but you know, if it, <laughs> so you know, I, you know, have dinner. Yeah. You know, like I said, you know, there's been, they've been feeding babies and kids. It's, it's just, it's, I, you know, and that's, again, that's the generation I work with, but in general too, like what you, you get to see pieces of their lives. And right. I think it's, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, it is. It's a tremendous window. All right. So one more question. We've won, we went a little over a half hour. So Mary Beth, just one more thought. Um, a lot of financial professionals really would like to get into that notion of promoting financial literacy, uh, but they're really uncertain of how to turn or what steps to take. What suggestions would you have for them? I think in general, starting out with uh, the, like organizations for our industry. So there's XY Planning Network, there is FPA, there's NAPFA. There are always volunteer and pro bono opportunities that come through those organizations. And so getting involved there on an industry level, you're going to be exposed to a lot of those volunteer opportunities. Um, also, if there's a, an area that you're interested in, so again, for like for women, perhaps you could go to the YWCA and offer yourself up for mm. um, that financial education literacy. There's a, a foster youth program that is here in San Diego um, called Just in Time Foster Youth that um, they're, they're actually for, for people, young people who are aged out of the foster system. And they have a lot of financial education and a series that they do around buying cars and first homes and all of that stuff for these people who are aged out. So it's an older group as well. Like there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there. You're going to look at your nonprofits though. Um, and then the, the organizations for our industry. And then you as an individual, I think creating content is great. So, you know, that's, if you like to speak, if you like to write, leveraging those those tools. Gotcha. Gotcha. Really. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, they're there. Uh, they might just take a little bit to find, but uh, those opportunities are out there. Great they stuff. Are. Well, Mary Beth, thank you so much for taking time out today. It was uh, this is awesome. I, I think uh, you really kind of have a, a a fresh take on so many issues, and uh, it's great getting that insight. So, thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. Thanks, listeners, and until next time, Market in Motion, spread the word. Thank you for listening to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. If you found this episode informative, please share with your peers and colleagues. Visit fmgsuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.